Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. We're starting a new sermon series for the next four weeks. Uh, we're going to be studying Paul's letter to Philemon, uh, and I'm really excited about this letter for, for, for so many reasons. I have, I have loved this letter in Scripture over the years. <clears throat> I'm drawn to it, I think, because it's such a unique uh, bit of, of Scripture. Uh, Debbie Baird just read us the opening verses of it, but, but we're going we're gonna to unpack this thing together. It's, it's beautiful. It's the short personal letter, uh, so it's unlike other things in the New Testament, and it's written from, by the Apostle Paul to a slaveholder who has become a Christian. So there's lots of moving parts to that, to that relationship. It's only 25 verses long, uh, making it the shortest of Paul's existing letters. And it's rich in not only what it reveals about the early church, but what it reveals about <clears throat> Christ's power to liberate us from the systems of this world. And so it's a humbling letter. It's, it's humbling and powerful in what it reveals about how Jesus changes people's lives uh, and also in how <clears throat> Christ changes who we are in relationship to one another in the context of community. And so uh, I'm going to preach the first three sermons in the series, and then Lee Eric Fesco is going to come and bring it home. I'm going to focus my three messages on really the three principal players in this letter. So today we're going to talk about Onesimus, who is the runaway slave that this letter is about. Next week, we're going to talk about Philemon, who is the slave's former master, and we're going to focus on how the gospel has transformed him and how it changes how he sees himself, how he understands forgiveness, how he sees his brothers in Christ. And then finally, we're going to focus on the Apostle Paul himself, who led both of these men to saving faith in Jesus. So we're going to jump around as we go in this letter, but because it's so short, we will see it develop as a whole as we go. We're going to begin with Onesimus, who is the subject of the letter. <clears throat> and uh, what I'd like to do now is I actually just want to read the thing in its entirety. So I'm going to read Philemon as a letter. Here it is. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon... And our beloved fellow worker, or to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings as do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul. I love this letter. I love this letter. It makes me think, so I have some friends, um, Pete and Pete Peterson and Jennifer Trafton, who are hiking the uh, Camino de Santiago, uh, which goes from France to the other side of Spain. And it's a pilgrimage, and it's hundreds of miles. And I'm watching them do this on Facebook because if you know anything about me, you know that I have a deep desire to do hikes like that. Um, the idea of hiking for 500 miles in one direction rings my bell. Um, I'm in a season of life right now where a lot would have to go terribly wrong for me to be able to do that. <laughs> and so I am vicariously living through my friends who are doing this, and, and, I just, and I just love it. But I've been following along and kind of tracking where they are on a map. And, um, and it just strikes me how, how long it takes to travel a great distance on foot. And that's what Onesimus has done in this, in this letter. But he did it not because he wanted to go on an adventure. He did it because he was running away. He was getting out of a situation, a horrible situation. And I think all of us can relate to this because all of us at one time or another want to run away. And some of us do run away. And there's a lot broken in this world that can be reasons for why we would run away. Some of us, like Onesimus, are born into awful situations. Some of us just make awful situations for ourselves. But 
here's the question maybe to start with as we look at Onesimus. What is the most hopeless situation in your life right now that you just want to get away from? And is there any hope that you feel right now in that? Onesimus had a tough life. He was a slave in the house of Philemon in the city of Colossae in the Roman Empire. And when he ran away from Colossae to Rome, he didn't help himself. He made his life even tougher. If anybody ever, ever tries to tell you, and I've heard it, if anybody ever tries to tell you that slavery in first century Rome wasn't all that bad, don't believe them. It was horrifying. Horrifying. Though some may have had masters who seemed kind, there is no argument for a kind slave master. There just isn't one. Because here's the reality. The reality was that these slaves were still property. They were still people with no freedom and no rights and no protection. It was one person owned by another. But slavery was critical to the Roman Empire. The empire was actually built on the backs of slaves who were owned by, quote, men of nobility, who believed that it was beneath them to work. And so we're going to address a Christian response to slavery later in more depth as we study Paul's words to Philemon next week. So make sure that you come back for that. But I want to mention it kind of out of the gate here that this, this letter is not focused on undoing slavery in the Roman Empire. That's not really the focus of this letter. That being said, it is a deeply abolitionistic letter. Because what he's doing is he's showing the evil of human trafficking. And he's laying out how followers of Jesus Christ are to regard one another and how we're to regard all people. And this letter focuses on something that comes from Genesis 1, and that is that if people are made in the image of God, if we are, whether we're believers in Christ or not, image bearers of God, then we have inherent dignity because we're image bearers of God, and we deserve to be treated with dignity as people made in his image. Paul said this in Galatians 328, he said, in Christ, there is neither slave nor free. You're all one in him. But here in this letter, we have Onesimus, who is a runaway slave. And so he enters into a world of the underground. What is your underground? What's the underground world that you, that you dabble in or you live in? This letter is about the reconciliation of Onesimus to God. And then because of his reconciliation to God, his reconciliation to Philemon, who is his former master and now his brother in Jesus. But Onesimus ends up with Paul because he flees, he runs away. And so he goes from the small town of Colossae in order to disappear into the anonymity of the big city. It's a 1,200-mile trek that he embarks on from Colossae to Rome. That would be roughly the distance from Nashville to Denver, 1,200 miles. That's how far Onesimus ran to get away. 
Now think about it, because he, he wouldn't have had means to travel other than his own two feet, perhaps a boat if he could get one, and maybe horses. So he's a fugitive. He's on the lamb. He's having to lay low. And the reason he's having to lay low is because slaves were often marked in some way to identify them as being slaves. And they were worth a bounty if they were captured and they were returned. And there was an industry for bounty hunters in catching runaway slaves who were marked as such. And so that's his situation. It's rough, isn't it? And then in verse 18 of this letter, you get this, this hint. It's not said overtly, but, but this hint that before Onesimus left, that he stole from Philemon to, to fund his escape. Paul, that's where Paul speaks of if there's a debt, if he owes you anything. And so what a lot of commentators think is that he probably stole things like money and belongings and maybe some clothing to disguise the fact that he was a runaway slave. You think, well, why, why would he need to do that? Well, he would need to do that because, you know, the bounty hunters and because of the underground world that he was living in. But it was a, an offense punishable by death for a slave to run away. It was also an offense punishable by death for a slave to steal from his master. Both of these things would get you killed. And yet for a runaway slave, the thinking was, well, if I'm already facing death for running away, then two capital offenses aren't really going to change my position if I'm captured. However, if I do steal in such a way that it maybe can fund a clean getaway, then there's a chance. So it's a bad situation. And then it gets worse. Have you ever fled from one bad situation to another bad situation? It's never good. It's, and it's never better, really, right? It's, because it's always, it just gets deeper and darker. That's what Onesimus has to do here. Such a flight from Colossae to Rome, the 1,200 miles, would have been impossible for him to do without some kind of support some kind of network that handled people like him. Which means he probably would have joined a kind of an underground of runaway slaves, but it also would have been the same underground as uh, fugitives and criminals who were trying to evade capture. Meaning he would have had to have joined a pretty notoriously dangerous network where no one is safe. And no one can really be trusted. Add to it, for every underground society of fugitives trying to stay off the grid, there's also another society of bounty hunters who make their living hunting these fugitives down and bringing them back for a reward. It's their job. And so Onesimus is in trouble. He's in trouble the minute he leaves because runaway slaves were the bounty hunters' bread and butter. That was the world that Onesimus stepped into. We get a lesson in human nature with Onesimus' story. 
though 20 centuries now separate us from Onesimus and his Roman Empire, human trafficking still exists. And in some places, it's a horrific system of selling others into slavery and creating empires of pornography and empires of exploitation and empires of abuse and addiction. And it's also true that we ourselves can sell ourselves into bondage. It's a common story, right? Like how common is the story of the girl who runs away to the big city in search of a new life only to find herself enslaved beneath it? How common is the story of the man who takes pills or drinks to relieve his stress only to slip into addiction and all the carnage of the lost relationships that goes with it? How common is the story of the allure of the quote-unquote soulmate that the married person meets at the office, beckoning them to abandon their spouse. It is amazing the things that we will look to for freedom. What is your underground? What is the story that you've stepped out of and the story that you've stepped into? To what extent are you convinced that your survival right now hinges on hiding and running and lying? Because running from something is running to something as well. It's heavy, right? It's heavy because you look at what Onesimus is having to do, and he's, he's building this house of cards. And in any given moment, he could just be done. And you can see the hopelessness closing in on him. And maybe you feel it. Maybe you feel it around yourself even more. What can help? What can help him? What can help us? What can deliver us from our past, from these identities that are just hung on us? What can help Onesimus? Or as Paul put in another letter, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, as we read this letter, some of the pieces start to come together, right? And we realize that somewhere between his escape and this letter, Onesimus and Paul came together in Rome. How did Onesimus meet Paul? We don't know. It's not really said how he met him. But if we look at how it all fits together, we can say this is probably more than likely a prodigal son sort of story here. It's more of that. It's more likely to be that than just a coincidence, right? Because see, as long as Onesimus, kind of taking the prodigal son angle, as long as Onesimus had money, He could stay underground. But when that was gone, he was left without a support structure. And like the prodigal son who blew through his father's inheritance, Onesimus probably began to shift from dreams of independence to cries for help. Now, he probably met Paul earlier. He probably met Paul when Paul was at Philemon's house and he led Philemon to Jesus. We don't really know, but it seems that there's a connection there. Anyway, somehow or another, Onesimus discovered that Paul was in Rome, and he sought help from someone who was, although in prison, known for helping people who were in trouble. And so Onesimus heard the gospel. That's what Paul does. 
as he talks about the liberating power of Jesus Christ. And so Onesimus hears the gospel and he puts his faith in Jesus. And from what Paul says, Onesimus became a changed man, saying that he even served Paul while Paul was under house arrest. That's what the gospel does. It doesn't just give us, you know, a passport into heaven, but it changes us here. And it changes how we relate to people and how we understand who we are in this world. And service is a part of that. And that's what Onesimus does. He serves, serving others a fruit of gospel change. Onesimus wasn't just learning about Jesus. He wasn't just going and taking classes, right? He was serving. And here, he's serving Paul, and he's serving the other brothers who are in Rome. And Paul talked about this as being foundational to understanding the gospel, serving one another. In Galatians 5, he said, you were called to freedom. Don't use it, he says, as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, with that freedom, serve one another. Because it's not just enough to gather information about Jesus and have kind of this heady understanding of who Jesus was historically, but that the gospel transforms us. We have to live out of what is already true about us, that we've been set free in Christ. We've been given the privilege of being able to serve. I've seen this time and time again in my own life. I know, I know this in, in the lives of many people here. And that is that we can get kind of myopically frozen, focusing on ourselves and feel like the world is just kind of caving in on us. But when the opportunity to serve other people comes along and we engage in that, it has this way of lifting our head, right? To give yourself away in service to another people will take your eyes off of yourself and it will help you see the world in a, in a bigger way. And that's what happens here. We live out of things that are true about us and one of the ways we do this is we serve. And Paul talks about Onesimus. He has this affection for him. And you see it, right? He says that Onesimus is like his son. That he's very dear to Paul. He calls him his son in verse 10. He says he's very dear to me in verse 16. He says he's his heart. And then he describes Onesimus in a way that's kind of interesting. He says he was formerly useless to you. Did you catch that when he said that? What does that mean? Well, again, here's the thing where this is a personal letter, right? So there's a lot that's not elaborated on. Paul would have known what he meant. Philemon would have known what he meant. Here's what commentators speculate about. What they speculate about is that, is that um, Onesimus was a person who was probably not a very good servant to Philemon. And it's interesting how this is talked about here. Because on the one hand, he's acknowledging as your slave, his job is to serve you. And it, I know that in the way that he was your slave, he wasn't particularly good at that. What that tells me is that Onesimus was a person who resisted his position as a slave. That he made it hard to be mastered. And if we want support for that, all we need to look at is the fact that he ran away, right? But what Paul says is he's, he's not that way with me. In fact, he's seen him transform 
in such a way that Onesimus has given himself to serving me in the gospel. Philemon had legal authority under Rome to put Onesimus to death. When Onesimus took hold of Christ, Christ took hold of him, and instead of fearing what might happen if he was found, Onesimus trusted in the work of Christ in his life, and what this led to eventually was a desire for him to be reconciled to Philemon, who was now his brother in Christ. I hope that as you're hearing me unpack this, that it's as uncomfortable for you as it is for me. That this is complicated, right? Because you would think if there is a slave-master relationship and the gospel comes in and the slave runs away from the master, that it would just blow that relationship up, even end it. And yet what Paul says is it changes it. The slave-master thing is gone. It's gone. It's done. It's dead. It's evil. It's wicked. But you're not nobody to each other. We're never nobody to each other. And so Onesimus has to trust that Christ will continue the good work that he's begun as he seeks to be reconciled to Philemon, who's now his brother in Christ. Because even though there's all kinds of injustice in the situation itself, they're still brothers. Our hope in Christ is this, it's that he really does change our lives. And one change that the gospel births in us is the courage to stand in faith when we don't know what an outcome is going to be. Onesimus had to do this. He had to believe that the gospel had not only changed him, but the gospel had changed Philemon as well. We don't know whose idea it was for Onesimus to return to Philemon. All we really know is that both Onesimus and Paul believed that it was the right thing to do. And even in sending Onesimus, Paul states again his affection for the man by saying to Philemon, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending him back to you. And I'm sending you my very heart. You see the hedge of protection that Paul is putting around Onesimus. I'm sending you my heart. Treat him as you would my heart. Because that's who he is. And then Paul appeals for him in no uncertain terms. Take Onesimus in, but not as a slave, as an equal. Why? Because that's who they were to each other. That's who they were to each other now. They were brothers. It's the powerful message of the gospel that Jesus never wants a former slave to go back into slavery. Never. Never ever. That's the message of the gospel. And so Paul appeals to Philemon to release Onesimus to set him free. <laughs> I mean, you have to appreciate how fully Onesimus is counting on this freedom by returning to a man who has a legal right to kill him under Roman law. 
So in light of that danger, why would Onesimus go back? What would possess him to do that? I mean, what a hand he was dealt. He was a slave, and then he traded that for being a fugitive. And like Onesimus, I think we struggle with the hardship and the uninvited heartache that we're here living in or have known in our, in our pasts. We struggle with the sorrow. We ask, why do these things happen? Why did I have to go from being a slave to a fugitive? To Philemon, why did this empire that you had built, which involved having slaves to do work for you, why did that have to crumble for you? And Paul approaches this in a way that I think is very winsome and yet direct. It is humble and yet it is strong. And he uses this word, he says, perhaps. Why did this happen? Perhaps, he says. Perhaps he was parted from you for a while so that you might have him back forever, but no longer as a slave, but as a brother. There's always, for us, we who are earthbound, who see through a glass darkly, there's always an element of speculation when we're trying to understand God's plans and the mechanisms of the way God works. But when Onesimus understood what Christ had done for him, the gospel had set him free. He was no longer a slave. He was no longer a slave to any man. He was no longer a slave to his past. And this is beautiful because what it's telling us is in the gospel, you don't need to say my brokenness and my sin and my pain is so bad that it has stopped being something just from my past and it's become who I am. This is what I am. This is who I am. The gospel frees us from that. It's easy for our past to stop just being part of our story and become who we know ourselves to be, who we how we introduce ourselves to other people. And the warning here is you will live out of who you believe yourself to be. But the gospel transforms our pasts. And it sets us free to live in a place where we're not trusting in schemes. We're not trusting in underground paths that would lead us to just a better bad scenario. In Christ, we can entrust our futures to God. So what happened to Onesimus? We'll get into this a little bit more later as well. But there are historical records that suggest Onesimus became the bishop of Ephesus after Timothy. That he was a key leader in the early church. And tradition says that he was later thrown into prison and stoned to death for his faith. And we might say, on, on what basis would we, would we trust that there was a positive outcome to, this, to the delivery of this letter? I think that the biggest evidence that we would have for that is that it's in the canon of Scripture, right? That it still exists. That if Onesimus went back to Philemon, and Philemon said, yeah, no, and had him put to death, I don't think this would be in the canon of Scripture. And yet here it is. It's gracious that the Lord leaves certain things in his word veiled for us. 
It's gracious that the Lord has left the truth of what came of Onesimus and Philemon veiled because it forces us then to think through what we hope happened. It forces us to ask the question, what do we believe should have happened? And then seek to live in a way that would model that outcome that we believe is the thing that should have happened. The good news is we'll know soon enough, right? I don't know why you have suffered the things that you have suffered. I don't know. I don't know why you were born into some of the pain that you were born into. I don't know why some of the suffering and struggle that has happened in your life has been thrust upon you. I don't know. But what I do know is that God redeems us and that he delivers us from every form of tyranny and slavery and oppression that has ever existed, including the inner voices of guilt, including the sins that everybody is aware of. He delivers us and he uses us to help set other people free too. So much mystery and beauty in that. However, God is weaving your tapestry. Your story isn't finished until God says that it is. Perhaps, perhaps, you are where you are so that you might be reconciled to someone from whom you fled and need to be restored or so that you might forgive someone who has wronged you. Perhaps you are in a position where you will take in a spiritual fugitive. Here's what I know. I know that the work of Christ is stronger than your past. And I know that the gospel gives us new identities. Embrace the work of Christ. Let me pray. Father, there's so much in me that wants to just keep going uh, and preach next week's sermon now. Uh, and then the one after that, because the story is fascinating how it unfolds and how it shows your strength and how the gospel transforms our lives even when empires are built on certain structures, how it defies the structure of an empire in both its truth and its everlastingness. Lord, when you declare us to be something, when you declare us to be someone, that is what we are, and nothing can change it. Father, I thank you for this letter being in the canon of Scripture. I thank you for the mystery of, of its place there and also the, the uh, obvious reasons for why it belongs. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would just help us to see ourselves through the lens of what's happening uh, in the story that unfolds here in this, in, this, um, in this epistle. And we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen.